You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. your inside pass to everything Saints football. We'll take you to the places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room. Following every twist, Hakeem drops the ball! Turn, picks a flow! And touchdown oh, is frozen over. of the 2022 season. It is going to be covered by the Saints for a touchdown! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Oh, baby! Welcome in, Saints fans, to another episode of Inside Black and Gold. It's me, Jeff Nowak. I had to give Steve the night off because he is currently somewhere a few thousand feet above the ground. He's in, he's in the plane with the team. So I had to take this on my own, but I think I have enough to keep you entertained. It's going to be the first post-game podcast and... Whew, We have a good one to talk about. The Saints did just about everything I can think of to lose a game that they ended up winning 27-26 over the Atlanta Falcons. They trailed by 16 points with about 12 minutes to go. And if that sounds familiar to you, it was very similar to how the game went. I want to say, what was it, week eight, week nine, in the Superdome last year. I think in that game, the Falcons led 24 to six with about eight minutes to go. And Trevor Simeon actually led the saints all the way back. And then, you know, Cordero Patterson caught a long pass down the sideline. And that was after the saints kicked the go ahead field goal today. I was just like someone find Cordero Patterson. If he catches a 50 yard pass and they lose this. Yeah, that's going to be rough, but (laughs) man, that was, that was awful until it was fun, right? It was, it's very similar to the LSU game. If you want to go back and go to the Superdome last week for the LSU game where everything was terrible through three quarters and all of a sudden you had this crazy comeback and the difference being, you know, the Saints didn't miss that kick at the end when LSU didn't make the extra point. I'm glad it didn't have to go to overtime because I hate overtime in the NFL. I was glad to see them finish it off. Although, man, that game should have ended a lot earlier than it did. The refs really bugged me in that game. And it wasn't about 
them making mistakes. It was about, you know, do your job. Like in the instance where Jarvis Landry goes out of bounds and it's not apparent, it's not obvious that he went out of bounds. It's their job to make sure that the, the other the teams know what's going on. It's their job to explain that to people. And DA can say, yeah, I should have known. I should have known. But you know, that's part of the ref's job. There are refs there to alert people. And that just seemed odd. And, the, and when he called the grounding penalty, he just stood there with this smirk on his face. Like, you're, that's your job. They, they spiked it because, like, it was not made clear that the clock wasn't running. And whatever. It's DA's first head coaching game. I get it. You know, that might be something that you know, down the road, he'll be a little better out. We might look back on this and laugh and say, man, yeah, that's, that's a sign of a first time head coach, or at least a head coach that hasn't been a head coach in a while, but you know, that's gotta be on the officials to, to make sure that the teams know what's going on because it's not obvious. I saw it in real time because I was watching it on a broadcast. They're watching it from the sideline. They don't know he stepped on the edge and you have like three seconds where you have to make that decision and they're sprinting out there and they're trying to clock it as fast as they can. And then you get a penalty because of that. It was like, just blow the play dead. Who you're not gaining anything from spiking it. I thought that was that was a BS situation that could have been avoided. There's a few other instances. The holding call on Marshawn in that last drive. I mean, it was weak at best. You know, I thought the the roughing penalty when the clock was reading zeros. I mean, geez. And these are all instances where they don't get called for grounding there. It's first down. They get to run a couple plays, and worst case scenario make Atlanta burn their timeouts and they weren't able to do that because when they spiked it, it was third down and then fourth down. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. That was just the stuff at the end of the game that bugged me. The stuff that bugged me at the beginning of the game was a whole lot worse. And, you know, I always kind of err on the side of let's assume the quarterback is involved in the issues that are plaguing the offense, right? You don't want to give somebody a pass just because you like them or you want them to succeed. Uh, But in this case, I'm giving Jameis a pass for the first half of that game because the, the protection, the offensive line production was atrocious. It was awful. It was awful. And, you know, you can put some of that on the quarterback, and I'm sure Jameis will take it when he goes through film. He'll say, you know what, I needed to ID the the coverage is better. I needed to set the protection better. I needed to make sure everything was communicated. I needed to get the ball out quicker, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, you can only play football, right? (laughs) You can't teach the guy how to play football in front of you. If he's getting blown off the snap, Cesar Reed's getting chucked to the side and Grady Jarrett's about to eat your lunch. There's only so much you can do. And so I think this is a team that will figure that out, but man, that was rough. That was rough. And you know, I said this going in to the, you know, the preseason finale where you were trying to figure out whether you wanted to get guys reps. And, you know, it was always going to be a question of, you know, I get it. I understand why a team would go into the preseason and say, hey, we had to start 58 players last year. That never happened before in NFL history. We overhauled the training staff. We're going to do everything in our power to make sure that we get to the regular season healthy. But I think what you saw in that first half, and it wasn't all on this, but I think you could explain away a lot of the issues by saying this was a rusty team. They essentially treated the first half of that game, the first three quarters of that game, as their preseason. I mean, did it not look like it's, there was one team was playing a preseason game and another team was playing a regular season game in the first half, right? Because that's what it looked like to me. It looked like when the Saints faced the Chargers third team 
uh, defense with James Winston as quarterback. And I was like, wow, this offense is way better than that defense. And, you know, I thought that was very frustrating to see. And I think it could have been avoided by, you know, obviously you don't want to overload people in the preseason, but geez, get them out there. Get them. If you are walking into your regular season opener and the rust is cleared, then you have not done a good enough job of preparing the team. And, you know, some guys are insulated from that. I get it, but there's a lot of pieces of this offense that are new and they did not get the off season time together that you needed to make sure they were, you know, in sync and good on the saints. They, they managed to split that difference. They barely managed to split that difference because I don't really, I think by week two, it's not going to be an issue. I think the rust has been knocked off and you saw that in the fourth quarter, but they were a hair from blowing a game that they may need down the stretch. And I expect that them to need down the stretch because of that. And that's man, if they drop that game, that's rough. Cause you have the bucks next week. You know, that's, it does not get easier next week. You need to start well because you know that the middle of the season is so rough and man, they, they pulled it out, but <laughs> they, they made it, they made it tough. Um, they made it tough on me personally, because I'm trying to write like, you know, my, my takeaways from the game and I have it all done basically by the time I get into the fourth quarter. Cause I try to post it as the game ends, you know, people want to read stuff immediately as the game ends. And I feel bad because so much of it is written as a kind of man, they can't believe they blew this game. And then, but I had to just rework it because it's just like, okay, I, I want this to sound different just because like, I'm still going to say the same things, but I don't want it to sound like. I'm talking about a team that started 0-1 because there's a huge difference between starting 1-0 and starting 0-1. And uh, so if you read my five takeaways and you're like, wow, it sounds like it's talking about a team that lost. Well, that's because I was writing about a team that I very much thought lost that game. And, you know, as frustrating as all that was, can you imagine if you're on the Falcons side? <laughs> Does any team blow a lead quite like the Falcons? I don't know if it's it's possible. I mean... How do you, you know, as frustrating as it is to be a Saints fan, I think at least you've your frustrations come on the precipice of success, <laughs> right? You can say that about the Falcons in the Super Bowl. You can say that about the ultimate troll, which is the 28 to three, right? But all of these other blown leads, all of these other terrible experiences have come as you're watching a god awful football team. Just an atrocious football team. And I say, don't overreact to week one, never overreact to week one. But I think if you're a Falcons fan, it's safe to overreact to week one because this is your reality. You just need to accept it. <laughs> this is what happens to you. I'm sorry. It is. You cannot move past this. This is, this is your life now. I actually thought the Falcons played excellently through the first three quarters of that game. I really did. I thought Marcus Mariota looked good. He looked like a guy who's going to continue to be the starting quarterback of that team. And it all fell apart. It all fell apart at the end. So if you listen to the last podcast, I went through my three keys to uh, the Saints dominating that game. Not to win that game, to dominate that game. And I think they held up because my first key was stop the run. They did not do that at all. The Atlanta did a very Philadelphia-esque job of rushing for over 200 yards, RPOing you to death you know, just running the pass rush ragged props to Pete Warner. He finished with 12 tackles and he had that incredible TFL at the end of the game that really kind of saved the saints from themselves. You did not, you did not stop the run, which is why 
Marcus Mariota was able to execute you to death in the third quarter of that game because, you know, you you allowed the run game to get going, which made the play-action game effective. So you did not do that. <laughs> My second key, avoid turnovers. That was right. Um, you did not avoid turnovers. Jameis Winston did. You know, if there's one thing you can say about his performance in the first three quarters of that game, he was getting eaten alive in the pocket. He didn't turn the ball over, right? I think if he turns the ball over once, the Saints probably lose that game. It was the margin was that narrow. And, you know, for a guy who can't walk down the street without getting reminded about his 30 interception season and all the fumbles and all the, the stupid throws and the bad decisions for him to get through that game without turning the ball over good on him. You know, maybe at some point we can start being like, wow, maybe he's not this walking interception. Um, you know, who knows? But yeah, I mean, they managed to avoid turnovers throughout much of the game. The only real turnover was Mark Ingram's kind of bizarre, you know, little flip up on that kind of broken play. It actually ended up not hurting the team because I think it was Marcus May and Tyron Matthew combined to punch the ball out down at the goal line. So, you know, it, it was a wash there, but the one that it's not considered a turnover by any stretch, but to me, the effect is the same. Will Lutz clanking a 44-yard field goal off the upright is as good as a turnover. It's as good as a turnover because you're taking points off the board and you are giving the Falcons the ball on a quick change with good field position. And I think when you look back at how this Saints defense has performed and when they struggle, they struggle when you put them in a situation for a quick change and it is immediately followed by a long drive. And that's what you had on that first Falcons touchdown drive where they just, you know, they were able to run the ball. Cordero Patterson, who good on him. He was excellent in this game. I don't know how he ever was considered a wide receiver because he's clearly a running back. That drive was set up by the missed field goal. So while that's not going to go in the book as a turnover, I consider that as effectively a turnover on the kicker. So you did not avoid turnovers. My third key, show up. They didn't. (laughs) The Saints did not show up in this game whatsoever until you know the final 12 minutes and we're going to get into a lot more of that in the back half i want to talk about mike thomas i want to talk about james winston i want to talk about all these guys and how they really got it done down the stretch but first here's chris sanders you know demario davis wouldn't say it he alluded to it um but yes will lutz's nickname in the locker room is big nuts lutz and it's a good nickname, but there is actually a second nickname that I learned about today. And uh, I'll let I'll let Jameis I'll let Jameis tell it to you here. Oh, I knew I knew Illa Willa was gonna hit it. You know, uh, he he the preparation he had, I mean he had some adversity last year, uh, overcoming some injuries and bouncing back, man. So I know he was hungry for another opportunity uh, and he uh, executed. Did you catch that? Let's let's play it again and see if you hear it. Oh, I knew I knew Illa Willa was gonna hit it. Illy Willy. I, I don't think it's as good as Big Nuts Lutz. But Illy Willie's still a pretty solid nickname. And that was, uh, and that was James. Uh, 985 Live says, the O-line was trash, and what was wrong with Mike T falling down? Um, I have a feeling that somewhere Sean Payton was watching the game and muttering to himself about the wrong cleat. Because <laughs> it sure did seem like Mike was having a hard time uh, getting some traction. And on, it happened twice to flip. And on both those plays, you can attribute it to a rough throw by Jameis. As we, we talked about Mike, we talked about his touchdown 
And now one thing that I thought was funny, you saw on that touchdown, his celebration of throwing the ball in the stands. That's what he, that's what he had to say. Actually, they threw it back, so I do have it. But um, <laughs> I had a lot of, I had, a, I had actually had a lot of like thoughts in my head on how I would probably celebrate, but knowing the situation of the game and, you know, you can't get any penalties there. Or you don't want to get anything uh, to hurt this team. So kept it simple and, you know, put points on the board. We came back, got two, and then we, we got on a roll. There you go. He got the ball back. So <laughs> to recap, Michael Thomas scores a touchdown, throws the ball into the stands, and the Falcons fan throws it back to him. And he says, you know what? Thank you, because I actually wanted to keep this. This is my first touchdown catch in two years almost. Um, so, so good, good for you, Falcons fan. You, I, I've never understood that. I've never understood that. If you went to a game and you got a football thrown to you that you could take home and say this is a touchdown catch by Michael Thomas in Mercedes-Benz Stadium, and you throw it back, like that is the that is the lamest thing a fan could do, in my opinion. But hey, Mike's not complaining. Um, but all right, I'm going to cut that segment off there. You're listening to Inside Black and Gold. This is the Saints-Falcons postgame podcast. I'm going to hit a quick break, get a drink of water because my throat is failing me. And then we're going to come back. We're going to hit some more. We're going to look forward a little bit, answer more viewer questions, and get some more audio. Thanks to everyone who's watching. we got over 100 people in here right now, which is great. And uh, stick around. I'll be back in a minute. Okay, we are back. Again, this is uh, the post-game edition, the first 2022 season post-game edition of Inside Black and Gold. We are just reacting to the madness that we saw in the week one showdown between the Saints and the Falcons. Here are some stats, some numbers to throw at you. Taysom Hill, 57-yard run in the first half. That was the longest run by a Saints player since 2017. That's from ESPN Stats and Info. That surprised me because, you know, I've seen Alvin Kamara have a couple long plays. I think the the touchdown against the Packers last year was an example of that, but that was a pass. So it's tough to say, you know, just a run from under center. I, I guess that would make sense. 16 points is the biggest fourth quarter comeback in franchise history. Prior to that, they had been 0 for 208 in games where they entered the fourth quarter trailing by 16 or more. So good job, Falcons. You're in, a, you're in another record line somewhere. Jameis' stats through the first three quarters, 10 for 18, 56 yards. His stats in the fourth quarter, 13 for 16, 212 yards, and a touchdown. So, yeah, that was a pretty solid fourth quarter. You know, you can say all you want. Okay, they're in prevent, whatever. I don't care. That is elite fourth quarter performance. And... He led a two-minute drill to get the Saints in a field goal range. It wasn't the prettiest two-minute drill you've ever seen with, with the kind of blunder on the grounding and, you know, some other issues, but got there. And, you know, getting Will Lutz back, <laughs> he missed that 44-yarder, which, you know, that's a rare thing to see him miss such a makeable kick like that. But, you know, when he tried it out there for a 51-yarder, I'm not sure I could have felt any more confident. It's actually like the inverse. Like um, I was watching the Giants-Titans game, which the Giants won an opener for the first time in like a decade. 
Um, and the, they had a similar situation, but it was Randy Bullock trotting out for a 45, 47-yarder. And it was like the second he came out, I was just like, okay, yeah. Yeah, this is a miss. Because <laughs> it just, I don't trust that guy. I don't trust that guy to make a game-winning kick. I trust Will Lutz to to deliver my baby. Like, I, I trust Will Lutz to do anything. Illy Willie, you know, and uh, just having him back is just such a, such a security blanket for this Saints team. No, absolutely, man. Big-time players make big-time plays. Like, that's not a, that's not like a statement that's just, you know, that's not real, you know. That's that's very real, you know. And shout-out to both of those guys, too. You know, this is their first game back on the field in a, long, in a, in a while, you know what I mean? And um, they made it plays when we needed them the most. Um, and that's what we're going to need all year. Now, that was Jarvis Landry talking about Jameis Winston and Mike Thomas. And, you know, take away all the negatives you want from this game. There were serious questions going in about kind of what that relationship was going to be like, kind of the camaraderie, the connection in the game in terms of you had never seen them complete a pass in an NFL game. Your QB one and your wide receiver one had never completed a pass in an NFL game. And until you saw how that looked, you had to have some questions about it. And I think what we're going to end up seeing with kind of this new, this new kind of version of Michael Thomas is you're not going to see the volume that you had back with Drew Brees, right? You're not going to see a 149 catch season, but I do think you will end up seeing a double digit touchdown season, which Mike Thomas has never had in his career. Um, Because I think that this is where Jameis and his arm is going to allow you to take advantage of Mike Thomas in other areas of the field um, that, that Drew might not have been able to take advantage of with him in the past. And, you know, that first touchdown throw was a dime. You know, that second one was a great route. And, you know, once they kind of get on the same page and they start kind of anticipating each other a little bit better, you know, that's only going to be, that's only going to be more impactful. So, you know, I thought from Mike Thomas's perspective, that went about as well as you could have hoped and good for him, like good for him. He has had a very difficult road back, you know, and he's dealt with a lot of criticism, a lot of it merited, a lot of it not merited. You know, and he's been a very emotionally stable player this offseason. You know, I I don't remember him being this congenial with the media. I don't remember him wanting to talk to the media the way he has been lately. And I think he's just really enjoying the fact that he can play football again. And he and Jameis Winston are going to be very good teammates and they're going to be fun to watch, especially now that he has Jarvis Landry kind of taking some of that pressure off of him. When's the last time that you saw the Saints need kind of a game-winning drive and someone not named Mike Thomas was the guy making that big play, right? You know, was it, it wasn't, you know, Ted Ginn had a few moments, Jared Cook had a few moments, but by and large, it was either Mike does it or Mike doesn't do it. And that catch by Jarvis, you know, on the sideline that ended up kind of leading to that grounding penalty was as good as it gets. It was as good as it gets. He had a catch down to like the four yard line prior to Mike Thomas's first touchdown, you know, and these are just fun players to watch. They play the game the right way. And, um, you know, I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. When we came out of halftime, we knew we were getting the ball back. Um, we knew we had, we, we were completely honest with ourselves. We knew we had, uh, we were leaving our defense out there on the field too long. Um, you know, too many three and outs and, uh, we took accountability and, uh, Everyone, we looked each other in the eyes and we knew what time it was. Our team needed us and we needed to respond and we need to find a way to win this game. And that's what we did. And that's where the effort came from. 
And I think that's a that's another answer that kind of shows you like, yeah, th- this is a team that is aware, like, you know, <laughs> if we leave the defense on the field, if the offense can't take some pressure off the defense, you are asking for trouble. And I, I did not think that the defense had the wind left to show up and stand up on that final drive. I think that's why, you know, if you're Marshawn Lattimore, you got a little handsy on Drake London there. I thought it was a weak call. I don't know how a rookie gets that call against Marshawn Lattimore, but hey, you know, that that uh, that officiating crew was uh, was something. But they did. You know, they did. And they were put in bad situations and they did a good job. And I, and I, and I think that this was not their best game by any stretch, particularly the pass rush. The pass rush has to be better. I don't know. I did not go into this game thinking that the saints would not hit Marcus Mariota once in the pocket, but that's what happened. There was zero sacks, zero, zero quarterback hits in the pocket. They got him a couple times for TFLs, but that was kind of on the zone read where he kind of already broke in the pocket. So it doesn't technically go as a quarterback hit. But, you know, they were, they were, they were absent. They were absent. Contavious Street had a few nice plays. Shai Tuttle had a really good run stuff late in the game. You know, that's going to be an area of the game that you need to be better. You need to be able to stop the run. And it's weird looking ahead to a matchup against Tom Brady and thinking, you know, this is what this team needs is to go against Tom Brady. <laughs> but I do think from a confidence perspective, from a pass rush perspective, that's exactly the type of player they are built to tee off on a pocket bound quarterback who isn't going to make you react outside the pocket. You don't have to play contain. Um, and you can just pin your ears back and go get them. And, you know, as great as Tom Brady is, that's why he has struggled against the saints because their interior rush is built to get after the quarterback and collapse the pocket from the inside. And against a guy like Mariota against a guy like Jalen hurts, that doesn't help you because these are guys who want to break the pocket. They want to extend the play. They want to use their athleticism. And, you know, I think we saw the, we saw some of the limitations with the ends that the saints currently have and their ability to contain mobile quarterbacks and kind of get outside, they'll get better. They have to get better because uh, they don't get any breaks this year. It seems like they get all the mobile quarterbacks, even a guy like Joe Burrow, Um, you know, he's not a guy who you can just sleep on kind of like Daniel Jones last year. Like he's, he can run, he can move. He he's wants to stay in the pocket and throw, but he doesn't have to, but then you have Lamar Jackson, you have Kyler Murray, you have Deshaun Watson, you have Jalen hurts again. You know, you're not going to get any breaks. You're going to have to get better at this. And, uh, like DA said, you know, he hopes not all of his games go this way. And, you know, one way to make sure that's the case is to figure out how to stop these RPOs. But hey, we, you know, it, it, it's tough because you don't want to adjust too much and kind of lose your, your identity as a defensive line. But you do have to do something. You have to do something different and you have to be able to slow that down um, because they just, they just have it. Jeffrey Brown, how did we win? I, I honestly, I don't know. It, it's funny because when they missed the final two point conversion, I, al- I, I said at the time, like, I almost prefer that. Because as a team, I want to be the team with the ball last that needs a field goal, right? I don't want to be the team on defense saying, okay, maybe if we can stop them from getting to the 45 or the 35, maybe we'll win this game. Because it's just, it's just, it never works. It never works in today's NFL. <laughs> uh, Murtis, how do they lose? Atlanta wanted the loss more. That's, you know, if this was later in the season, I would have accused Atlanta of just openly tanking. <laughs> but, but that's not what they were doing today. 
right? No one tanks in week one, you know, because you always want to leave that hope open that you get on this magical run and and you kind of figure out a way on a season that you shouldn't. But, uh, you know, they, they weren't tanking today, you know, but they definitely know how to lose. No one finds a way to lose quite like the Falcons. Like there are teams that lose a lot. Like the Giants are really good at losing. The Jets are really good at losing. The Jaguars are really good at losing. Um, traditionally, prior to Tom Brady, the Bucks have been really good at losing. But the Falcons just do it so spectacularly. It's almost like, you know, it's almost like a work of art. Bigger says, Honey Badger looked like he didn't want to tackle. He didn't have a greatest game. Um, he did make a couple nice plays. I think that you're missing Brett, you're missing CJ there, right? I think there are in, there were instances instances in that game where if this was CJ coming up to lay the wood on somebody, it's gonna work. Tyron is not that kind of physical defensive back the way that CJ is. And uh, yeah, I think that's that's the difference when you're trying to run CJ and um, Tyron in the slot versus a guy like CJ. You know, Justin Evans, I thought, had a rough day. Um, I really would like to see Elante Taylor worked into the slot more, but I don't think we're going to get that early in the season. He did look good as a gunner. He got downfield real fast. Um, he missed a tackle on the first punt. But he did kind of – anytime someone gets down there early and they force that early move from the returner, that's where you can kind of say, okay, yeah, I mean, you didn't make the play, but you set up the play for somebody else. And I think that's what you saw with that first punt. Um, because when you're the first guy down there and the and the returner can go either direction, making that tackle, you know, is is very difficult, <laughs> right? Um, but forcing them, funneling them to where the, your 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 support is coming from is almost just as good as a tackle. You know, they might get six, eight yards, but they are not getting a full head of steam and getting a field. I thought he did a good job of that. So that's good to see. You know, as a as a rookie. You have to find ways to impact the game, and I think that's how he's going to be able to impact the game um, early on. Jeffrey Brown, who spells it differently than I do, Jeff Ury, um, our defense couldn't stop the run. We used to be good against the run, question mark. Yeah, so when you go against a team like the Falcons, when you go against a team like the Eagles, it's not your traditional, okay, hand it off to the running back. They're going to, they're going to, pick a gap they're going to go you're trying to run a trap you're trying to pick a zone it's a lot of misdirection it's always going the wrong way right the whole point of the offense is to get you leaning the opposite direction and then hit you the other way and then when you do go power you're you're a step slow right you're always running play fakes you're always trying to make the defense think that what they're seeing is not what they're seeing and then with the RPO you're also able to make whatever decision the defense makes wrong. So th- it gets you thinking as a defense. And the second you start thinking, you end up on your heels. And that's how a guy like Cordero Patterson, who runs like a bull, can make an impact. So I don't think that, you know, in a traditional sense, I don't think that this team is going to struggle against your your more power run schemes, right? But it's it's something we've seen year after year with these heavy RPO teams. The 3-4, I'm sorry, the 4-3 just doesn't work the way you want it to. And I think that down the road, as you get further along, I think you're going to start to see more hybrid fronts, right? Hybrid three man fronts where you kind of fill the gaps with the, with the DNs, but it's not what you're built to do. And so that's why I think you struggle in these matchups. You got to get better at it. You know, it seems like every quarterback in the league, every new quarterback, every young quarterback can run, you know, Josh Allen, 
you know, even Trevor Lawrence, these guys can move. These, there's no such thing as a pocket-bound quarterback anymore, at least not the ones coming into the NFL, other than maybe Mac Jones. He might be the only young quarterback who I would consider pocket-bound. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you're only going to see more and more of these matchups, so you, you have to figure it out. And to this point, they have not been able to do it. LSU 337, this team has so much grit. They do. That, that is something that Dennis Allen said, and I do have a clip from Dennis Allen I can play here which, you know, he kind of got to that point. It wasn't perfect. There's a ton of things that we got to get cleaned up. I told them all in there, look, enjoy the win, but have tough skin tomorrow um, because we're not going to win a lot of games playing the way that we did today. We're going to have to play a lot better um, if we expect to be the type of team that we think we can be. And so, um, but I'm proud of the way that they fought. They competed all the way to the end. We got a little something going when we got into a little bit more of a two-minute type of mode uh, with the offense and got a little rhythm going. So, um, <clears throat> so look, I'm happy that we won the game. Um, a lot of things that we got to cl- get cleaned up and uh, we'll get back to work tomorrow and see if we can't get them cleaned up. Yeah, and, you know, we're keeping on the RPM, RPO theme. I mean, they drill this stuff. They drill this stuff. Um, I think it's more of a personnel issue than necessarily a scheme issue. Right, you are not built to play college football, right? And that's how teams that might be underserved on the uh, skill department are able to kind of level that playing field because they're running college schemes. This is a college offense that the that Atlanta is running right now, <laughs> and that's not to say it's 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 a it's a bad offense, but it's just the type of schemes you are seeing in college kind of working its way up to the NFL and. You know, it's when you're set up to do one thing and then you end up facing a team that is not going to do that, you're going to have a hard time. And um, it's frustrating to watch in the regular season. It's going to be a lot more frustrating if it ends up happening in the playoffs, right? And so that's that's what you need to you need to figure out because you beat the Falcons today. The Falcons are a bad football team. Not all the teams you face are the Falcons. Not all the teams you face make an art form out of blowing a two-score lead in the fourth quarter. And if you played the way you did today against the Eagles, against the Ravens, against the Cardinals, you're going to get blown out of the water. So I think that's where, you know, when DA says, yeah, I mean, you're going to enjoy this. You enjoy wins. Wins are hard to come by. Right. <laughs> like you, you don't, you don't just say, you know what, this was a win against a bad team. We don't get to enjoy this one, but I mean, that is not going to be a pleasant film to go over. You know, the fourth quarter film on the offensive side, you're going to, you're going to see a lot of positive things, but you got to go through the first three quarters too. <laughs> and you're going to see Caesar Ruiz getting just mauled by Grady Jarrett. You're going to see James Hurst and Alvin Kamara not communicating and picking up the blitz. You're going to see Jameis getting just eaten alive. You know, one thing to to keep in mind too, Jameis went to the injury tent and he definitely was favoring one of his legs a little bit. You know, I think it was a lower body issue that he was dealing with. I don't know how serious it was, but he definitely had something going on. Um, and he's like, that's the thing. When you allow your quarterback to get eaten up in the pocket, you're, you're just, you're asking for trouble. You're asking for injuries. And, you know, there was a point in that game that you, you, you saw Andy Dalton warming up on the sideline and it was almost like, 
Jameis, Jameis saw that and was just like, oh, hell no. <laughs> and after that point, he was Superman. He came in and he dominated. But it was like, it almost felt like it needed that. It's like, you want to see Andy Dalton in this game? Because if not, you better figure it out. And they did. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, it is it, one nothing, one one and zero on the season, and you know, you come back home, you face the Bucks, and you try to go two and zero. And you know, my 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 upper my upper projection that I think, I'm sorry, my lower projection that I think the Saints kind of need to start at was four and one because the middle of the season gets so difficult. Um, and that's why this loss would have felt really damaging long-term. And we saw last year, what can happen when you just don't take care of business in these games that you should win with the giants and the Falcons. Um, and you know, this was a game that looked very much like it was, it was one that we're going to, we'd get to week 18 and be like, man, if they'd only not laid an egg against the Falcons, you know? So, you know, being able to take that down and move forward, survive in advance is very much a thing. And, um, you know, the Bucks are going to look at this tape too. <laughs> They're going to see a lot of those issues on the offensive line. So you're going to have to figure that out. Jeffrey is very active in this chat. Saints are usually a second half team. I assume you mean in the second half of the season. I am interested to see how that pans out because I think the Saints being a second half team had a lot to do with Sean and Drew. You know, there's a, there are things that I don't, I don't think that you necessarily need to overvalue when it comes to Sean and Drew. I think that you can do a lot of the same things, but when it came to just understanding the game, making adjustments, improving throughout the course of the season, that is something that I attribute to coach quarterback scheme and, um, and film study. So I am interested to see whether that kind of trend, which is very real in the second half of seasons, especially the last few seasons, the saints have been very good. Um, so we'll see if that continues. Um, we didn't get to see it last year with Jameis getting hurt, um, in, you know, halfway through the season after seven starts, but yeah, I'm still just, you know, I, I, I wish I could have a day to kind of digest before coming on and doing these pods, because I just feel like, you know, I'm trying to remember all these things that happened and until you look at the film, you just can't, you can't know how it all went down, but um, I think what we'll end up seeing uh, when I, when I look at that tomorrow, hopefully the all 22 comes out. Um, you'll see a lot of missed assignments. You'll see a lot of late reactions and, uh, that's going to be stuff that you have to fix going forward because it's not going to get any easier next week with, uh, with Tom Brady and the bucks. Um, bigger, are we still worried about Ruiz and Hurst? Oh yes. Yes. We went in worried about Ruiz and Hurst. And we left worried about Reasonhurst. Whenever Taysom was in that game, we did good. So I don't know why they don't use him a lot more. I think they will use him more. You know, I think they're still trying to find his role in the offense in terms of what exactly can you do. And I think to some extent, you do have to consider, you know, taking Jameis off the field over and over again is going to impact his rhythm. And you have to be conscious of that when you, when you make those decisions. Now they, I think there was only one instance where he took two snaps in a row that, that he being Taysom Hill at quarterback. And the first was a QB power where Jameis was off the field. And the second was a QB power where Jameis was on the field split out wide. And so, 
you know, those are the two types of types of personnel that you get to do that with because one gives you an extra blocker. The other one gives you the element of surprise. And so that's where you're going to see it. I think that we will primarily see that down in the red zone and in short yardage situations, because I don't know how you stop that. He's going to be their best short yardage running back. And if, and I said this this morning on first take and it panned out about as well as it could have, if I'm an Alvin Kamara fantasy owner, I, I despise Taysom Hill. I despise him. Um, but damn, if you got, if you got a high waiver claim, I'm picking him up because I think he's going to end up being a top 10 tight end because he's going to get touchdowns like he did today. Ben Willard wants to know what's the status on Paulson. He missed the day. He was ruled out on Friday. He has not practiced in about two weeks. It's an ankle injury. We don't know much more than that. I think part of it is, you know, you've already experienced what trying to play through an ankle injury can do long-term. You are a team that expects to be in the playoffs and you want to make sure he is healthy before he comes back. So I think that's what you're seeing. And so I don't know if you're going to see him week two. I don't know if you're going to see him week three. But if the idea was we're going to keep him out for, you know, four or more weeks, then you would have put him on IR. So I don't think that his absence will be longer than two, three weeks. But if he's not able to get on the field this week for practice, I don't think he can play. So that's what we're going to have to see. We'll get the first injury report on Wednesday. We're finally back into kind of the normal schedule. So they'll have availability and practice tomorrow. They'll do a lot of film study. We will be out there. We'll be able to get in the locker room and talk to some players. And then they'll be off on Tuesday. They'll be back to practice on Wednesday. And then that will be the first injury report. And we'll get a much better idea um, of whether, you know, Paulson is trending in the right direction, along with guys like Dwayne Washington, Traquan Smith. Otherwise, you know, I think, Anytime you can leave a game without an injury, without a major injury, you have done a good job. You have avoided um, a potential pitfall in your season. And I think the Saints managed to get through this one healthy. So that is a good thing. But all right, I'm going to cut it off there. Thanks so much for everyone who joined. We got about 130 people in here right now. It's up to 135. Just as I said that, you know, I always appreciate that. I know I uh, tend to ramble. um, And so I appreciate that people are interested in following along, make sure to hit that subscribe button, rate and review. As you can tell, I am, I am tired. It's been a long day. I started with first take at 8am this morning. It is now eight o'clock at night and I'm still working. So there, there you have why I might seem a little groggy, but um, maybe next week I'll force Steve to do this solo. <laughs> he, he doesn't have to travel next week. So uh, worst case scenario, you'll get both of us. But again, thanks for everyone for listening. We'll be back at you. We still haven't. I think our. I think the next time we're going to record is probably maybe tomorrow. It's tough because we won't have a ton more information, but we'll be able to talk to players. So maybe maybe we'll record tomorrow and have an episode Tuesday. I think that would be the best idea. Then we'll record another on Wednesday and have an episode Thursday, um, kind of heading into the weekend. So that's probably the schedule. So keep an eye out for that. This is our three-day-a-week schedule. We're still kind of figuring it out. We had been two episodes a week but we're shifting to three in the regular season but yep next on on to the bucks in week two hopefully it's a little less stressful than this one (laughs) all right y'all be easy peace